The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. accidentally discovered the house next door was occupied by something not human. Something horrifying. Something unspeakably evil. No one believes you. Mom, I didn't have a nightmare. Not your mom. They did kill a girl over there. Not your girlfriend. Charlie, is this some sort of a trick to get me back? Not even the police. Look, I know it's crazy. I know that, but look, Lieutenant! It knows that you know. You'll do anything to protect yourself. But it will do anything to protect its secret. This could be the night of your life. Fright Night. Coming to your neighborhood this summer. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo. And I'm Kyle. Kyle. You're not co-host Kyle today? Just Kyle? Just Kyle. All right, Kyle. Kyle. You're familiar enough. You're friends with me now. You're all good. All right. Today is episode 151. We'll be talking about the legendary classic Fright Night from 1985. But Kyle... Before we begin, I do have a question. Kyle, when you were younger, did you have any late night TV host that would uh, introduce old horror movies, Godzilla movies, stuff like that? Uh, For my generation, it would have been probably Elvira, but I was probably too young to watch it when I was a kid. But Kyle, too promiscuous. When I was younger, we had this guy located in Indianapolis Mm -hmm. named Sammy Terry. And he would introduce on late Saturday nights, he or late Friday, Friday or Saturday nights, he would introduce old Godzilla movies or horror movies and stuff like that. So, if you get the chance, check out Sammy Terry on YouTube's intro. You will be shocked and amazed right. at how awesome he was. Yeah. So, Kyle, Friday night, mm-hmm. first time watching it. First time watching it. Yeah, yeah. Although I have seen the um, the, the the remake they did in 2011, back when that came out too. So I thought with the Colin Farrell. Yeah. But, yeah, I still yeah. haven't watched that one either. So it's okay. Is it, I've is seen it, it once. Is, is it 
is it pretty much the same as this movie? Comedy was um, a more drama. No, they, they definitely go for more of a, a the idea of a serious take, and uh, uh, I think the situation is a little more dire in the remake <laughs> than it is in the this film. What about Friday Night Two? Have you ever seen Friday Night Two? I've not seen Friday Night Part Two. Have you seen it? No, no. So we're gonna have to add that to the list. We'll to, we we are just on a roll with sequels lately. Exactly, so. we're making the list. We're, we always add five movies to the list, and we take <laughs> off two. No, we don't. We <laughs> just add to the list. Yeah, that's right. We take yeah five. We add five to the list, and we take off one or two a year. It's great. <laughs> every every two weeks. No, it's one or two we forgot about, and sometimes we do. We plan to do one that we've already covered, and we just need really need a database. Exactly. Time so Kyle, circle. Fright Night. Go ahead, take it away. All right, Jimbo, I'll take it away from you. Uh, we have Fright Night released on. August 2nd of 1985, directed by Tom Holland. No, not that one. This is not directed by Spider-Man. 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 Yeah, I, I, oh, my gosh. The, the sheer amount of just frustration, if you're like an egomaniac, like most directors have to be. The idea that you have to Google your name now and have to put Tom Holland, Tom Holland Filmmaker. <laughs> so people can find you on Google instead of finding Spider-Man. This has got to be frustrating. <laughs> And you know, what's um, even worse is after he goes Spider-Man and he scrolls down, it's Uncharted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah, because he's Nathan Drake now too. Right. I'm sure they're going to do a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It's, it, well, also, like, he has another film. I think it's like a, it's, it's uh, Tom Holland's Terrifying Tales or something like that too. So he definitely wants to put his name on products. He wants to be seen as a movie guy. And... Uh, <laughs> The actor just sweeps in. A young kid out of nowhere just takes his whole name forever. Um, yeah, but also director. Wait until the next Kyle Zinner takes the podcast away from me. Takes pod, yeah, takes podcast by storm. Huge guy, Kyle Zinner, just takes the whole world by storm. And I'm just stuck here doing his podcast, and I feel like, I'm never going to achieve anything in my life. Um, it'd be great. Not that this podcast is an achievement itself. <laughs> yeah, we're 54 in Egypt. <laughs> We did rank 55, actually. 55 yeah. Egypt. Um, not that that's bad. Um, yeah. But uh, he also directed such films as um, Thinner in 1996 and Child's Play in 1988. He was also the writer for this one as well. Produced by Herb, Herb Jaffe. Uh, composer was Brad Fidel. Fidel. Uh, cinematographer was Jan Kaiser. And editor was Kent Beta. Um, then we have casting director Jackie Birch and production designer John DeCure Jr. Moving on here to the cast. Uh, not cast. We're going to go. Sorry, that's a little later. Moving to the budget of the film. This budget was made for $9 million in 1985. That'd be about the equivalent of $25.5 million today. So a pretty modestly budget even for the time there. Opening weekend, it made just $6.1 million. So a little bit of a, a worrying opening weekend. Interesting for inflation, though. That'd be worth about $17.3 million today. But it, uh, it made a healthy profit um, when its gross was compared to worldwide and uh, nationwide at $24.9 million. Just for inflation, that'd be about $70 million today. So that more than made up for its budget and its marketing budget, surely. So I'm sure this movie is a, a, a modest success. Not a huge success, but modest at the very least. So good for it on that level. Quick little plot summary of the film. 
For the young Charlie Brewster, nothing can be better than an old horror movie late at night. Um, two, men, two men move in next door, and for young Charlie in his horror movie experience, there can be no doubt in his mind that they are a vampire and his day guardian. The only one who can help him hunt down his is a washed-up actor, Peter <laughs> Vincent, who hosts Charlie's favorite TV show, Fright Night. Fright Night. But Vincent himself doesn't really believe in vampires exist. Until now. Dun-dun-dun. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so anyways, moving on to the awards here. We have a few wins and nominations. For the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films in 1986, it was nominated for Best Actor. Um, one Best Supporting Actor to Roddy McDowell. Nominated for Best Director, Tom Holland, not Spider-Man. And won the Saturn Award for Best Horror Film. Next up for the 1986 Air, Air and Fantastic Film Festival, it won the Dario Encento Award to Tom Holland. In the 1986 Fantasporto Awards, it won the Critics' Choice Awards for a special mention to Tom Holland. That covers the awards right there. Some of the technical details of the film. We have a runtime of 106 minutes. Sound mix was Dolby Stereo and Dolby Atmos. We got a nice surround sound movies there. This is a color film. Aspect ratio is a 2.39 by 1. Pretty wide aspect ratio, especially for, well, it's a cinematic ratio anyways. That's what we kind of call it. Um, camera use were the standard camera, you know, were the standard Panavision camera and lenses. Laboratory um, that was done for processing the film was done by Metro Color in Culver City, USA. And film length was 2,918 meters long. Process. There was actually a 4K remaster for this for digital intermediate intermediate 4K for the 2022 remaster. So just last year, I didn't realize we got a remaster. I, we only watched that, I believe, the HDX on view for both of us, and also of course that Panavision standard um, processing for that as well. Um, moving on here, we have some of the f- uh, filming dates. This film was filmed between December 3rd, 1984 to February 23, 1985. So a pretty short turnaround, just a three-month shooting schedule right there. Um, not unusual for the time, actually, I guess, but um, pretty f- soon to get the film out to release dates um, that very August when it's just filmed, wrapped up filming in February. So a pretty short um, editing-to-release timeline there. And I'm sure marketing campaign, too, because how you market a film until you've already done the initial shooting. So, like, really short marketing campaign, too. Probably why the opening weekend numbers were a little bit low. Um, moving on here, we're going to go to the cast. We have Chris Sennett, Sarandone playing Jerry Dandridge. Chris Sarandone was also in the film The Nightmare Before Christmas in 1993. Sarandon? Sarandon. Thank you. <laughs> Sarandon. Chris Sarandon. Playing Harry Danridge was in the film The Nightmare Before Christmas in 1993, and also The Princess Bride in 1987. I'm going to just butcher all the names from here on out, just so you can correct me each time and feel great about yourself. Next up, we have William Ragsdale playing Charlie Brewster. William Ragsdale was also in the film Herman's Head in 1991, and Frankenstein, The College Years in 1991, the same year. Next up, we have Amanda Bierce playing the character of Amy Peterson. All I can see is I was waiting for Al Bundy just to bust through one of the doors and say something mean to her. <laughs> it would have been funny. It it would've would've been funny. Uh, <laughs> yes. Of course, and then the Jumbo's looking in the back. Amanda Bierce was in the show Married with Children from 1987 to 1997. I remember that show was gone for 10 years. That's yeah. incredible. Especially for a show in the 80s to 90s. That's, that's a great run. Uh, next, of course, and uh, she was also in the film Sky Sharks in 2020, 
which I've only seen a trailer for, and it looks like it deserves the name. <laughs> Sharks in the Sky. Never be named. Next up, we have uh, the legendary actor Roddy McDowell playing Peter Vincent. Roddy McDowell, of course, also uh, probably best well-known for his role as Cornelius. Cornelius, In the yes, Planet sir. of the Apes films, which we've been covering the past few months now. Um, next up, we have... Oh, I'm sorry. He was also in the film Cleopatra in 1963 as well, which I'm sure I mentioned during this Planet of the Apes podcast as well. <laughs> next up, we have Stephen Joffreys playing the character of Evil Ed. Stephen Joffreys was also in another vampire film called Bite Marks in 2011 and the film At Close Range in 1986. Next up, we have Jonathan Stark playing Billy Cole. Jonathan Stark was also in the film Project X in 1987 and Mom and Dad Save the World in 1992. That shows up once again, Cal. I told you about this movie. That movie's going to force itself on us. We're going to end up doing a podcast about by osmosis after this. I'm going to cover the whole cast before I even do (laughs) the actual podcast of the movie where I cover the cast. Next up, and we have Dorothy Fielding, who was in the film. uh, Oh, she played the character of Judy Brewster. Dorothy Fielding was also in the film's Kiss Me Goodbye in 1982, and The Pursuit of D.B. Cooper in 1981. And that concludes the cast of Fright Night. So I'm relatively short there on the um, my portion you know, of the podcast. You know what? I will say, though, even though it was a small cast, it actually had a good plot and kept the story moving just with the little limited cast they did have. There were some small disappointments for me, and but I, I, I do feel like, yeah, this is overall a pretty... A well deserved for its critical appraisal, and I think it deserved the financial success it got. It's 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 modestly very good, you know, in a weird in a weird way to say it. it's like it's 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 it sneaks up on you just like this is aggressively <laughs> solid, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's okay. Right. Well, we'll get that in the well, yeah, yeah. Well, we better wait yeah. till we start. Yeah, yeah. But so we'll let's go, go and dive into yeah. some of the uh, trivia. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Kyle, we're gonna we're gonna test your knowledge right off the gate. Oh, who was gonna be cast as who? And they're like, no, oh, that, I, that, that I do believe oh, that okay. comes up. Uh, sure. But um, the character Peter Vincent, mm-hmm. he's named after two very famous actors from horror movies. Do you know who? Oh, uh, d- d- both. Dracula and Van, and and Van Helsing actors. Um, I forget their names though off the top of my head because it's early. Well, it's in the name of Peter, yeah, Peter, Peter Vincent. Vincent. Yeah, but once again, like I'd make sure I Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing. Yep, and then Vincent Price. Vincent Price. Thank you. Okay. Wow. You I, know, I people are probably it. screaming at their radios or Walkmans. It's or one of those headphones. things. Like if you didn't ask me, I'd know it immediately. But the moment you ask me, that's <laughs> like I don't have that answer. I, I couldn't possibly. Oh boy. <laughs> but you're right, Vincent Price. And yeah. So William <laughs> Ragsdale injured his foot running down a staircase during the last shot filmed on December 24, 1984. Just three weeks into principal photography. Ragsdale's action scenes were postponed until he was healed sufficiently to perform them, and the director filmed other scenes to stay on schedule. So, <laughs> so basically, he was Kyle tripped, tripped, tripped working on his toes, or just you know being a, being the lead actor, and like this is like this is your moment. You got to perform, and then immediately hurting your leg, and you're like, <gasps> I'm on it. I've destroyed uh, my whole career. Oh my god! And then the director just saving the day by like, okay, we can film around this. We can make it work. It'll be okay. And they right. did, and that's really impressive, actually. From a production pop- standpoint, it's got to be a pain in the butt. Our actor got injured. Now we got to film half the scenes we're going to film next month, this month. Oh my God, what a nightmare. Yeah, hopefully, uh, they had the sets ready to go. You yeah, know. yeah. A puppet that was created for the ghost librarian's uh, monstrous visage in Ghostbusters was rejected as being too terrifying for a PG movie. 
When the FX crew subsequently went to work on this film, they realized the rejected model resembled the vampire bat that they'd created, so they repurposed and utilized it for the vampire's fiery destruction. That's some effective budgeting right there, for sure. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Okay, that... Yeah, and it, it, like it made it for the whole the poster design of the film too. Like it's like you look, you see the Fright Night movie poster and the like that that ghostly image is the image of the film. So it's really incredible. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a rejected Ghostbusters prop made this film what it is. <laughs> While fending off Jerry in his bat form with a bone for the climax of the film, Roddy McDowell accidentally cracked the puppet's skull. <laughs> The crew scrambled to fix the bat so they could continue shooting, but such extensive damage occurred that it took two days to properly reassemble, so they had to temporarily delay filming further close-ups of the creature. Once again, another terrifying production delay. Like, oh my god, we got to fix this right now. And the producer's like, no, i got to glue this, and it's got to sit. It's got to be perfect. We can't do this again. Oh my gosh. So William, William Ragsdale went through several callback auditions for the film. I, I bet that gets tired saying, hey, can you come back and read this again? Hey, can you come back and read this again? But... Yeah. On Halloween night in 1984, he finally got the news that he had the part. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Chris Sarandon claimed that because of the long hours in makeup he had to endure, if he didn't try hypnosis or meditation to cope with it, he'd go stark raving mad. Yeah, I think probably the most well-known case of that was the actor who played the Grinch, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey and him saying like he had like a CAA director like teach him how to endure torture during the growth of the entire process and like he would just constantly chain smoking cigarettes or it's like the, the leg and watching TV. The one Kim Hunter I think from uh, Planet of the Apes. Remember where she had to take <laughs> oh yeah Valium constantly <laughs> just 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 ODing on Valium every day so she can endure taking the makeup on. Um, so so many cases like that. Um, luckily, it seems like we've gotten a lot better in many respects. But man, it's still just a like you know waking up at two a.m. to put makeup on and then perform for twelve hours. Just oh miserable experience. So yeah. much of this film's nine point five million dollar budget was spent on special effects. It was the very first vampire film to ever spend one million dollars on special effects. Just on the very first vampire film. Okay, so that's interesting. Oh wow, I wonder how yeah. much. I was going to say, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. I wonder how much further we go today. Well, I'm thinking like Twilight probably spent millions of dollars just for VFX shots. But I'm thinking like... Uh, those are vampires, Kyle. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. They're sparkly vampires. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, man. I was trying to think of what's the most expensive vampire film. And I mean, immediately to Twilight. I have no idea how expensive... Like Blade, of course, those films. And uh, what are some of the bigger films about vampires that were played up with VSX shots? Like Interview with a Vampire, I don't know how expensive those VFX shots would be necessarily, but I bet this it's definitely more expensive than this film. Okay, gross. that's a tangent. We'll move uh, yeah. on. <laughs> uh, the director's trademark for Tom Holland, uh, Supernatural Disbelief. Characters see something supernatural but can't get anyone else to believe them. So, um, as in Child's Play and Cloak and Dagger. Uh, Tom Holland's directorial debut, as well as Jonathan Stark's feature debut. Uh, the most financially successful horror film of the 1985 summer season and the second highest grossing horror film of 1985 behind only A Nightmare on Elm Street's to Freddy's Revenge. Oh, wow. So that's it's a, so, so good success and like lingering right. success, too. Although William Ragsdale and Amanda Bierce are playing teenagers, in reality, Ragsdale turned 24 and Bierce was 27 during filming. <laughs> Uh, when Peter Vincent, Roddy McDowell, based his character's movie persona on some bad actors from the films he used to watch as a child, to depict how his character reacted to the situation he was thrust into, McDowell found inspiration in the line from The Wizard of Oz. We're not in Kansas anymore? 
kind of moment oh, of man. disbelief. <laughs> uh, when Judy Brewster invites uh, Dandridge over for a drink, he's drinking a Bloody Mary. Oh, because only vampires drink Bloody Mary. Yeah. Blood. And he got invited in, remember? Oh, yeah, right, you're right. Um, the character of Peter Vincent claims he has been fired from hosting Fright Night because all they uh, want are demented madmen running around in ski masks hacking up young virgins. An obvious reference to the Friday the 13th franchise. The bouncer, Nick Savage, at the club who first confronts Jerry, plays one of the three motorcycle gang members killed by Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th Part 3. Yeah, this is probably actually... I grant the 80s had a little bit of it, but this is the first film by having its whole like thing being be named after a fictional TV show in the movie that can also be like meta about its own genre piece. <laughs> like, right. Making fun of that, too. One of the first films to really do that in hindsight. I'm just realizing it right now. That's really cool. Well, unless I mean, Elvira, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, came out, but I don't remember when it came out. It was in the I, 80s, I think there were like early '90s films, something like that, or like I think like, like Scream would be the first, the first big film to go really meta with it. I'm gonna look up Elvira real quick, because sure. um, she had that movie, Mistress of the Dark. Yeah, I'm, this, I'm but she way. had her TV show at the beginning of that movie, and then it turned into a movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Writer-director Tom Holland could see the role of Peter Vincent with Vincent Price in mind, but Price's health was declining. And he was trying to shy away from accepting horror mo- uh, movie roles at that point in his yeah. career. Yeah, Elvira, oh, Mistress of the Dark uh, actually came out three years later. So that wow. really does make this one of the first films that even make like even a meta joke about horror in that role film itself. I wouldn't be surprised. I'd find, probably find films from the 50s make meta jokes right. about Universal Monsters. I wouldn't be surprised. But still, that's, that's really cool. Uh, pays numerous tributes to Salem's Lot, uh, such as the house with the large staircase and window backdrop. The basement finale at dawn, the older man and younger boy vampire hunters, and the human guardian and his final demise on the stairs. The head vampire in Fright Night is also similar to the Barlow character in the novel by Stephen King, which was drastically altered for the teleplay. Hmm. Um, It took eight hours to do the makeup for Jerry's final transformation. Wow. Eight hours. Eight hours. Wait till you see some of these other times for... I couldn't believe some of these... Uh, When Jerry lifts Charlie by the throat and carries him across the room, the actor was being pulled on a furniture dolly. Impressive. Yeah, use that. (laughs) Still look good. Yeah. Uh, Chris Sarandon had often joked that the finger extensions he was required to wear made it difficult for him to go to the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's all like part with a hook hand thing. (laughs) Remember which hand to wipe. (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, cast and crew members have recalled that Roddy McDowell videotaped extensive on-set behind-the-scenes footage. None of them saw the tapes, and their whereabouts remain unknown. And if you remember, he did that at, when he was Cornelius for Planet of the Apes. Um, we watched one of those extra Roddy McDowell's home video footage. Yeah. Was showing that. So it's out there somewhere. We really need to find that. Oh, it would be amazing to find like an archive someday. Just randomly someone puts it on the air like, how did you find this? Frustrated that they'd never been asked to do DVD extras, all the principal cast members except Amanda Beers, who was unavailable at the time, recorded two pirate commentaries, which were released as free MP3s on the Icons of Fright website in 2008. that's so cool. Due to a contractual stipulation with Sony, distributor Twilight Time was unable to produce original content for their 30th anniversary edition Blu-ray release in 2015. So they included both commentaries and other pre-existing bonus. Materials as freebies. That's incredible. I, I that's amazing that they love to do that. I mean, it's man, it's such a shame that so many like we have modern, to see if that's still up and running and see if hopefully uh, it's still available. If, yeah. we, if we can find it, we need to post a link in the Facebook chat to actually take a look at those things. Right. That's really cool. 
I feel like such a missed opportunity so many movies nowadays released on Voodoo and like that. Like DVD extras were such a cool thing, especially commentary tracks were always. But even on Voodoo, too. you can get the extras on there if they well, would if, them. if they go to the process of including them. But so many movies just don't go through the process of including them. But that goes through like larger things, like you know, I kind of like not just Voodoo, but a lot of movie apps do such a poor job of including extras, right? You know, especially by the studios themselves too. Uh, but also the the tools to include those things. Okay, you go go on. I know you want to go. <laughs> Charlie's nineteen sixty six Ford Mustang actually belonged to the writer and director Tom Holland the car was totaled in an accident a decade later Oops. oh that, that hurts sad uh, the crew spent a lot of time and money composing the scene where Jerry walks through Mrs. Brewster's bedroom and casts no reflection in the mirror it doesn't work director Tom Holland has frequently commented the audience never notices it because I framed it badly that's one of the first things I noticed was when he didn't cast a reflection in the mirror so I don't know what he's talking about Kyle wasn't paying attention, so it's okay. I never am. Where are we right now? What am I doing here? <laughs> uh, Heidi Sorensen, who plays the hooker that Charlie sees going to Jerry's house, was uh, Playboy Playmate of the Month in July 1981. Oh, wow. And there is a little bit of nudity in this movie, too. Yes, so just, a little bit. Just, it, it's like this, yeah, and it's it's weird. Like I feel like, man, they probably could have got away with a PG-13 cut of this film and actually would have probably worked just as well in many respects. Yeah. A little bit, well, there was a little bit more you know, violent scenes. But it would have been difficult, but I think they could have done a PG-13 version of this. Right. Um, but it's a, it's a soft R in many respects, though. Like, yeah, there is a scene of, like, that's some explicit nudity, but also it's short-themed. And also it's not, like, drawing attention specifically about the nudity, I think. Right. Um, yeah, it's an interesting film in that way. Uh, Writer-director Tom Holland has admitted that the scene with Billy Cole creeping up the staircase behind Peter and Charlie was inspired by Abbott and Costello. Hello, meet Frankenstein. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Uh, director Tom Holland sought out Brad uh, Fidel to score the movie because he had been impressed by the music in The Terminator. I think I was impressed by the soundtrack of this film, too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty good. It, it's, it's, it's so good that you don't notice it. <laughs> that's, how, that's how I kind of like frame it. Yeah. Because uh, it's exactly appropriate for each scene. Right. You know? Because of his theatrical roots and the long hours spent in the makeup chair, Chris Sarandon helped apply his own vampire makeup and often worked on the finger extensions while the makeup artists uh, were putting appliances on his face. That speaks to incredible talent there to multitask like I hope that. he got paid twice, that. once for a makeup artist and once as actor. Yeah, he's, like, he's in the credits as assistant makeup designer and then his name pops up again. <laughs> Uh, during the scene where Amy and Evil Ed arrive at Charlie's house and find his room adorned with crosses and candles, Stephen Jeffries was suffering from a bad case of food poisoning. So poor Ed was... Oh, it's part of the reason he looks like so down on himself and, and <laughs> dead. Yeah, yeah, dead on the inside. Like, like clearly something's going wrong. Food poisoning in real life helps out and make that scene sell. <laughs> and this is really cool, too. One of the life masks of Roddy McDowell taken from the Planet of the Apes franchise is visible in Peter Vincent's apartment. Awesome. Yes. Very That's great. Cool. Like, have that prop on hand. Like, hey, I can put this in the scene. Hell yeah, you should. <laughs> Um, while blocking a scare scene, director Tom Holland asked visual effects man Randall William Cook if he could devise a shark mouth for one of the vampires. There was neither time nor money left in the budget to create an elaborate prosthetic, but Cook agreed to concoct a rig over a weekend with a proviso that it would only be seen on screen for a few seconds. Ultimately, the crudely made mouthpiece was not only featured extensively in the film, it was also utilized in the movie's famous poster art. Oh, so that's the thing. Okay, so now, I always hear the ghost effect. That is that is that Amanda Bierce's ghost? That's what because I with thought her big, it was. Big face, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, I, so earlier you were wrong when you said that the it was the uh, the ghost man, effect from the Ghostbusters. Vampire, that's right. what I assumed it was there from the poster because that has such a like it's it's literally her face in the clouds, basically. Like that's so why I assumed it's supposed to be like the ghost. 
but that appears to be like maybe a combination of it to an extent. But I still, yeah, the mouthpiece is really, really cool. I think it's a very interesting look. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Amanda Bierce was required to move her her top for a scene in the film in which her back and shoulders are viewed, but she was uncomfortable being topless in front of the crew, so she covered her breast with duct tape. And this would have been perfect for Al Buddy just to stick his head in on the side to make some rude comment like he always did. You know? <laughs> There's no, there's nothing wrong with Al Bundy making rude, scene, rude comment scenes. Like, you know, he's always appropriate. Uh, writer director Tom Holland encouraged each one of their actors to pen one to two page biographies so they would fully understand their characters and motivations and be able to draw upon that information for subtext. I want to read Abel Ed's biography in that case. Yeah, <laughs> or the vampires. Like, okay, how old do you want to make your character? Is he a thousand years old? Is he two hundred years old? How old is your character? No. It's always a mystery of vampires. Uh, in 1988, the film was a adapted as a PC game for Commodore Amiga computers. Players portrayed Jerry Dandridge, who had a 12-hour of darkness to visit every room of his sprawling mansion and kill intruders. All of the principal characters from the film were included, even uh, bit part Hooker and uh, Cheryl Lane, with the glaring exceptions of Detective Lennox and Jerry Sinchman, Billy Cole. It's always like... Man, it's always like the... It's almost like an improvisational like interpretation of each film. Whenever they had like those initial crossover crossover promotions of like we made a game like the ET game it was like this has nothing to do with the movie. You're just going down finding blocks and apparently it's the part of your spaceship. The most ridiculous thing ever. I bet this Amiga game is the exact same. Oh, I still like, have the ET video game from the Atari. It's sad. You didn't get mine into the landfill, baby. A <laughs> thirtieth <laughs> okay. uh, anniversary limited Blu-ray edition packed with extras was released in 2015. The 5,000 disc sold out in less than 48 hours. 48 hours. Wow. So this film has a strong fan. In its own I right. bet our buddy uh, Carl Todd from the Evil Never Dies podcast, I bet he has a copy. He has four copies of it. <laughs> Probably. Uh, the phrase, Children of the Night, as mentioned at the beginning of this film, refers to wolves howling as the moon, as mentioned in Dracula, as well as Bram Stoker's, uh, or, uh, sorry, Stoker's original 1897 novel of the same name. The full quote is, Listen to them, the children of the night, what music they make. So, uh, uh, so question, seeing we both have never seen the part two, do you think this is a world where everything else exists to you? Werewolves, Frankenstein, sea monsters, all those things would exist too if they did. Having not seen part two, do you think I have not. that's something that you would... No. Do, you, do you think that's something that exists in this world? In this world? Probably. Yeah, in this, in the world do you Friday see night. it? Probably not. I don't think you see it, but I bet totally. If they're like, well, if it's not in part two, I bet in a Fright Night part three or part four or whatever. Like, <laughs> werewolves and all the other universal monsters have some knockoff in this movie specifically well, that exists. Uh, never mind. I'll just I keep it. Yeah. Okay, we can give uh, one. Kyle, your brain just goes down a different path sometimes. you got to have random stuff for the content, Jimbo. you got to um, have the chaos of Kyle. Ex- Kyle chaos. <laughs> Trademark. Uh, Captain Chaos. Captain Chaos. An excerpt of Brad Fidel's uh, original score for this movie was utilized in the American trailers and TV spots for The Monster Squad, which featured John Grease, who subsequently starred in Fright Night Part 2. Oh, wow. All right. Small world. Because we did Monster Squad, didn't we? Yes, we did. Just this year, in fact. Okay, cool. Uh, Making sure there's a lot. I don't think it was this year. It was last year. Uh, When Charlie Brewster first meets Peter Vincent outside the TV studio, that was the filming location for the start of the 1956 film Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Wow, I just bought that film a couple weeks ago. Actually, I've not watched it yet, but that sounds. Imagine that. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Me buying a movie and not watching it. I would never know. The song Jerry is whistling as he sneaks into Charlie's bedroom is "Strangers in the Night" by Frank Sinatra. Uh, Jerry wears a large trench coat, serving as a modern update of the vampire cape. Ah, the whole thing. That's what, 
Yeah, a Van Helsing would wear a trench coat today, for sure. This was filmed at the same Hollywood backlot of the 1989 Tom Hanks movie, The Burbs. The Burbs, which we also covered, I think, actually just last year. Yeah. Oh my gosh! I was uh, I, so I had uh, I had my nephews over for the weekend, and so I had to bring my Xbox downstairs to the living room for them to play because otherwise they would annoy me all the time. <laughs> but anyways, I just happened to plug that in, and I was like, saying, "Like, there's no way I have a disc in it," so I just pressed the eject button, and sure enough, there came out the burbs, which I bought specifically to record that podcast. <laughs> Shows how often I watch physical media nowadays. <laughs> but that was when I had to check out the burbs. So whenever that podcast last released, that's how long it's I'm been. I'm surprised it was a weekend at Birdies too. <laughs> weekend at Birdies too. No, no, I was able to get that on digital uh, oh. on Amazon. So oh, that's I didn't, right, have, to, I didn't right. have to buy a physical release of that. Yeah, Kyle, how many times do you think Charlie is said in this movie? Charlie is said. Um, I'm going to guess between 25 and 35 times. No, higher. 62 times during this movie, Charlie is said. I was halfway off. <laughs> 62. Charlie! Uh, despite being a horror movie about vampires, the scene where Jerry bites Amy is the only scene where there is flowing blood. Other scenes with violence only have post-let blood or blood clotted. Or clotted blood. And that's kind of the point again where I'm like, I could, I could imagine that there being a PG-13 version of this film that would have been interesting to watch. <laughs> you know. uh, Chris Sarandon makes a cameo appearance in 2011 remake of Fright Night. This character's name was JD, an apparent homage to Jerry Dandridge, the original vampire. The original vampire. Here you go, Kyle. This is for you. Okay. In the Castlevania video game franchise, the character of Charlie Vincent's name, a vampire hunter, was an homage to Fright Night characters Charlie Brewster and Peter Vincent, in addition to his uh, looks and personality being based on Dracula's Abraham Van Helsing. Oh, wow. There's, there's there's so many Castlevania games, actually, that I actually I don't know which game they're really referring to. Like, was the original Castlevania on the, like, the NES? Or, like, I have no idea. So, but still, really cool. Yeah. So Friday Night can be viewed as a modern retelling of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Charlie is the stand-in for Jonathan Harker, Amy as Mina, Ed as Lucy, Billy as Renfield, Peter Vince as Van Helsing, and JD as Dracula. A main plot point is Charlie seeing an old painting in J.D.'s house that looks like Amy, and then when J.D. sees Amy, he is reminded of a long-lost love, which is also how the Count sees Mina. Yeah. So that's very cool. Yeah, you're right. There are many similarities to the 1954 classic thriller Rear Window. Charlie Brewster spies on his neighbors, Jerry Dandridge, with binoculars and suspects uh, him of murder. Charlie tries to tell people about his suspicions, but can't get anyone to listen to him. That is a fantastic movie if you've never seen it. Yeah, yeah. Have you it's, seen it, Kyle? Yes, I have seen Rear Window. I think we should do it on the podcast, actually. Um, I think we've covered Rear Window. <laughs> I think Terrence joined us for that one. If I, I believe we were on that. Yeah, we did that movie before. But I remember specifically Rear Window. I actually watched the film of Shia LaBeouf, Disturbia. It's which kind was of the same disturbed. thing. No, no, it was actually it was so similar. It was sued by the rights holders for Rear Window, and they won. Really? <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> Um, here's something you may have missed because it was a, a, a very quick shot. Uh, but when Charlie sees the coffin being moved in next door, there's a quick shot of Billy using both hands and Jerry casually using only one hand to demonstrate his strength. Ah, clever. And here we go some, with some spoilers. Uh, and it's an attempt to produce an authentic reaction of fright when Charlie sees Amy as a vampire for the first time. William Ragsdale did not see the stun actress and makeup prior to shooting the scene. 
Oh, so it's like, oh my god, that's actually horrifying. <laughs> Look at that yeah. shark mouth. Yeah. Shows how good the makeup is too, where like you can look at it back up, up close and be like, oh god, that's that's that holds up. <laughs> uh, Chris Sarandis spent as many as eight hours having vampire makeup applied. Stephen G- G- uh, Jeffries spent as many as twelve hours having transformation makeup applied, which was required twice. <laughs> Oh my god, like absolutely miserable. Could you imagine? It gets, it gets worse. Imagine. I think it, I think it's on the next like, like, talk about that, like every break would be a chore too. He's like, listen, I gotta go to the bathroom. Like, cool, just wait a half an hour for me to finish this one part. <laughs> uh, for for Evil Ed's transformation scene, a full size wolf puppet was made. However, it's actually actor Steven Jeffries buried under the more werewolf like makeup and fake head. Poor guy. Yeah. Uh, when Stephen Jeffries is buried under the werewolf mask, the FX team poured a solution into his mouth to add a thick saliva-like texture and then realized they'd used dental adhesive, which was gluing the actor's mouth shut. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, can you, man. Can you imagine? You've had dental work done where they've used that stuff, yeah. right? It's- it's just, here, well, we need a little bit more. Jump the- <laughs> oh, how horrifying that would be. Just, oh, my gosh. Be, but just imagine how horrifying it is. Like, and we're all done. And then you go to talk, and you can't move your mouth. Oh, my God. I'm going to die. It's just like, oh, oh, my. That would terrify me to no end. Oh, man. Just crying. Oh, my gosh. I'd be so scared. Uh. The custom contact lenses were hard plastic, handmade, and excruciating for cast members. Stephen Jeffries was temporarily blinded and suffered severe scratches. Amanda Burr found herself extremely uncomfortable with her second pair and had to stop shooting to have them sanded down. There's no way they didn't do permanent damage as well. Like those things, just like especially like, well, of course, like glass contact lenses are known for being incredibly great for making sharp vision, but like they just destroy your redness. Jonathan Stark was supposed to be wearing a pair of vampire contacts when he came up the staircase. But the actor was blinded by the lenses and kept tripping on the stairs, so the director <laughs> told him to remove one. To remove one. <laughs> that make it even look more terrifying. Here, yeah. here, like the offset of just like, oh, he's transforming, but only halfway on his face. That's oh, here awesome. you go. Here's the one that I was thinking about. For the final transformation of Evil Ed, Stephen Jeffries endured 18 hours of makeup. Jeez. Eight. That's almost a whole day, Kyle. Like you can't even zone out necessarily. Like you're still, you're like you're there. It's applying. Can you imagine if you fell asleep in the makeup chair and you wake up and look at the mirror? Oh, oh my gosh! Eighteen hours. Eighteen hours. According to Chris Sarandon, he wanted Jerry to whistle, uh, whistle while you work rather than Strangers in the Night when first confronting Charlie. But Disney would not give permission to use this song. That's a shame. I would think it'd be under fair use to whistle it at the very end, but I guess, man, okay. That's 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 also really annoying. Like you can't sing it. <laughs> Originally, the script featured a radically different ending, which was revised prior to filming. As Charlie and Amy lied in the bed making out, Friday night comes on TV, and Peter Vincent declares, "Tonight's creepy crawler is Dracula strikes again." Obviously about vampires. You know what vampires look like, don't you? They look like this. Charlie and Amy are horrified as Peter begins to transform. Once his transformation into a vampire is complete, Peter stares into the camera and says, Hello, Charlie. And then the picture freeze frames and the credits roll. Oh, I love that idea for an ending. I think I would love, I like to get like that ending more. I think it would be cool. I think that would be great. 
here we go. For her final transformation into a vampire, Amanda Beers donned a prosthetic breastplate to enhance her cleavage. In 2012, Beers brought them to a horror convention and encouraged fans to fill her boobs while she signed autographs. That's <laughs> <laughs> I'm just happy she kept it, let alone brought it to a field day. Hey, I want to feel my breasts. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> Jonathan Stark was covered in green and red gore after he shot the scene in which his character melts. So he asked to take a shower and was told that there was a plumbing problem in the building. On his way home, he realized he was about to run out of gas, so he pulled into a full-service gas station. Some guy comes out, and when he looked at me, he turned white. Stark said at the reunion, uh, at a reunion, he gave me the gas, but when I left, I saw him on the phone, and I'm sure he was calling the cops. <laughs> it probably looked like he murdered somebody. <laughs> I wonder how many of those stories actually exist in Hollywood, California. Oh, yeah, there's going to be a book. It's got to be common, but also just got to be like one of those things. Like, like, there's actually like 200% more cases of people reporting false crimes. Or the people at gas stations in Hollywood just like, yeah, must be a rough day at the office. Yeah, yeah. You know? Or they're like, someone actually came in and committed a real murder. It's just like, oh, yeah. geez. <laughs> I just thought the movie was I'm, like, I'm an actor. It's yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. For the scene in which Jerry picks up the nightclub bouncer by the throat, the actor was crouched on top of a large wheeled box out of camera's view. As Jerry grasped his throat, the actor gradually stood up to create the illusion he was being lifted high in the air and dragged across the floor. Once again, like, like, like that's clever filmmaking right there. Impressive. In 2015, when asked if he could do a sequel to any of his movies, ignoring existing reboots, for a YouTube fan questions video, writer and director Tom Holland replied, that he'd like to do a follow-up to Fright Night utilizing the original cast. His proposal uh, proposed plot was that single father Charlie Brewster inherits his mother's home and soon after taking up residence, his two teenage children become convinced that there's something evil in the house next door, namely Evil Ed, who is squatting in the abandoned mansion attempting to resurrect Jerry Dandridge. You know, I feel like that was kind of like a missed point of the film of like ha- not having Charlie's like see evil Ed as a vampire really, and or like um, have the guilt of like leaving his friend there in the back alley thinking that he was playing a prank on him again, you know, about vampirism again because like I feel like there was a little bit more of an emotional like hit there that they didn't hit in this film, so that would be really cool if a sequel could have like directly addressed that of like the friend I left behind by accident. Well, you know, there was, there was comic person. books out about this. Um, I think it was a twenty issue series or something. Yeah, yeah. Where Evil Ed is a recurring character and he's a, he's basically he even teams up to take down somebody else I was reading, but then he's like told Charlie, I'm still gonna get you or whatever, so it's pretty cool. Interesting expanded fashion of this whole world. Yeah. The vampire contact lenses worn by actors Stephen Jeffries and Chris Sarandon, as created by makeup uh, special effects and artist Steve Johnson, were molded with actual flecks of glitter inside to achieve their billowous, yellowy, reflective quality around the pupils. Yeah, that can't be good for your eyes. No, no, I'm sure. Like, it's like, like yeah, no, you know, we were all like permanently have to wear glasses for the rest of our lives now because of this. <laughs> yeah. uh, most viewers conclude that Billy was some kind of ghoul or possibly a half vampire who hadn't been, yet been fully turned. Another possibility is that he was a golem made by Dandridge from sand and other matter in order to serve as his protector. Uh, the body count, there is five. And last but not least, Kyle, Evil Ed doesn't disintegrate like Jerry and Billy do when they die, showing that he doesn't actually die in the movie. No true death for a vampire. 
Yeah. I, I like the idea of, uh, especially frightening all horror films, of just the horror never truly ends. Like, maybe you get a brief relief from it, but, like, the, it's always ongoing after the film ends. There's always some, like, aspect of the horror that will, ever, will always continue. I love that idea. Yeah. So, Jimbo, uh, yeah, um, how's your thoughts on the film? Okay, so this was my first time watching, at least that I can remember going all the way through it. Um, it was actually, I, I didn't expect the comedic elements of this movie. I thought it, when I was going in, I thought it was like a really scary movie, you know what I mean? Because, the, I mean, that movie poster is frightening looking. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's really well acted. I, You know, you've got Roddy McDowell, who's just awesome pretty much everything he ever does. Uh, Chris Sarandon did a great job. Uh, the, the the plot went along very well. It, it made me laugh at certain parts. It was scary at certain parts. Um, the whole time when he was in his room, you know what I mean, when when uh, the Dracula persona, persona came over, it was truly terrifying, you know, and his mom, yeah. his mom's like, you okay in there? He's like, yeah, mom, I, you know, I just, you know, tripped over something or whatever. Uh, but just, you know, when even at the end of this movie where, uh, he looks out the window, those eyes are glowing next door. Truly terrifying. So for me, I thought it was an alright movie. Um, I'd probably give it a 7 out of a 10. Um, probably watch it a few more times, but I thought it was pretty good. Kyle? Yeah, yeah, I think I'm uh, largely in agreement with you. I think also, like, yeah, this movie is definitely... Um I think, like, I don't think it was intended to be as comedic as it kind of feels now. I think after, like, a little bit of time, this film, even if it was intended now, there's more scenes that are a little bit more cartoony or outdated in a way that they feel comedic now versus back then. Just because of the way they tried to, like, convey different kind of things um, a little more... Uh, outrageously or guess like you know a little, a little more blown out um kind of like to say like this person's terrifying and like they do it in, the, in a way that's just comedically exasperated you know so i think it's pretty cool too i also think it's pretty interesting just kind of like the um the uh the kind of eternal fears it goes through at the time too because it's definitely a little bit more of a i think this film is it's kind of subtly about sex, even though it's not really about it. Right. Having two men move next door and kind of implying that, like, possibly they're gay or they're sexually promiscuous kind of idea, too. Even inviting a hooker over to, like, you know, kill them. And then, like, later he's turning his girlfriend over to it. And then they go back to a kind of a, a, a more conservative outlook at the end of the film. Is, uh, well, and, kind of like, and one thing I really like about this film is the special effects. It's, it's, the, um, it's not the CGI. It's the practical effects. Well done. Top notch. Yeah, yeah. And also just going out there with the windows and all kind of stuff, too. Turning into the bad and stuff like that, too. It really kind of goes out there in a fantastical way of imagery that I really appreciate a lot. You know, so, so much of films today have this, like, you know, natural lighting all the way through. Or they have VSX shots that look completely, um, you know, out of this world and fake in a way that's not really uh, pleasing visually or interesting, pleasing, interesting visually, anyways. So I really appreciate that on this level of this film. And I think this film um, absolutely deserves the, the kind of the cult following it has today. And uh, is a series that like it. Uh, yes, I, I wouldn't. I I would never put it down. I don't think there's ever a chance. I think there's always a chance this film series could come back in a big way. What would you rate it on a scale of one to ten, Kyle? Self one to ten. I think um, I've kind of spoiled it on the earlier part of the podcast where I said like I think this is an aggressively solid film. So for me too, it's a seven out of ten for me. Excellent. So we finally agree on something. Yeah. Well, once uh, in a lifetime, you know. If you'd like to follow us on the social medias, we are the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. If you'd like to email us, uh, the Tragedy of Cinema gmail .com. Um, stay tuned because next week we are covering a humdinger of a movie in Heat. Um, the Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer, an yeah. all-star cast. Um, very, very good movie. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. But with that being said, I think this episode is coming to a close. And that's a wrap. And cut.